Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new edition of the MMA Torch podcast. This is Thursday, August 27th, 2015. I am MMA Torch editor Jamie Pennick, my co-host, MMA Torch senior columnist Sean Ennis. Sean, having some uh, lovely audio technical difficulties as we tend to always do with this show, but... I don't know what you're talking about. Now we're recording, and... Hopefully all of this records, and if you're listening to this now, our show is brought to you by Audible, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. You can listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want and get a free trial now when you sign up at audibletrial.com slash MMATorch. Sean. Yes. We we had some fights last weekend. We have, last weekend? We, we have... Some more tomorrow night from Bellator. The UFC is off until next week. So a lot of today's conversation is about future stuff, because there's quite a bit that's been set up on the docket, and there's tons and tons to talk about as far as future fights are concerned. But I want to start with UFC Fight Night 74 last weekend, and what we got from the UFC for their first event in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Uh disappointing finish to the night to say the least uh charles Oliveira goes down in the first round to what was uh later described as a micro tear of the esophagus he he pulled guard at one point in this after holloway rushed him it was real early in the first round and then as he got up he just grabbed at his shoulder wasn't sure if he pulled a shoulder out of his socket if if he strained a muscle if he tore a ligament we weren't, weren't sure entirely what happened but it brought an end to a really, really, really anticipated featherweight matchup and just absolute disappointment that this is how this one ends, considering the rest of the night wasn't all that good. Yes. <laughs> it did. Sorry, I thought you were starting a question, but you were ending the statement. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was quite a letdown. You know, the, um, obviously the, the worst part is for uh, Oliveira. You hope he recovers uh, well from the esophagus tear. Because, I mean, that's, that's kind of a frightening injury, you know, the esophagus tear. That wouldn't be something that I would think would happen in, uh, in an MMA fight. But, um, yeah, pretty scary. Um, and you the know, way he was, described it, too, the way that he described, like, the fact that he got up and his body went numb. Like, yeah, he's, couldn't feel he's anything. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. It, it's really, really frightening scene there, especially when he had to be stretchered out. Yeah, and, and after no contact, basically. I mean, like you said, he kind of pulled guard, and that was, you know, when he got back up, that's pretty much it. You know, it was it was kind of kind of odd. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunate for both guys because this was a big fight for both of them. You know, it was it was bound to be a, a pretty good fight, and it was a, it was significant in in the division. Um, you know, obviously, uh, uh, the, the biggest thing is you want Oliver to to recover, but also I think for Holloway, um, you know, I think you want to get him back in there uh, as soon as you can. You know, and that's um, probably something that's going to be possible given the number of events that we're running here and the the possibility of injuries and upcoming fights and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, it's not quite going to be the uh, the Frankie Edgar fight that he called out afterward, but yeah. uh, it, it, it could be on the level of a Jeremy Stevens or someone else that might be on that fringe top 10, top 15 range. And 
to be fair, he deserves it. What what sucks here is for Charles Oliveira, who had been on a really good run and really through no fault of his own here, just freak accident takes him out and brings a brings an end to that run and, and puts a loss on his record. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, kind of a sad that he doesn't really deserve, you know? Yeah. There, there really wasn't. I mean, we had some stoppages on the card on, on Saturday, but there were just... It wasn't a very good event. I mean, it, it was bound to happen. The UFC had been on a bit of a hot streak as far as entertaining fights, and there were a couple here. There were a couple of standout performances, but um, I, I don't want to go fully in-depth on, on each of these fights just because there's not a ton to talk about, and we have more intriguing intriguing things on the docket for later this year. So I'm just going to run down the fights here and I'll, I'll run down the main card first and get any thoughts that you want on those. Then the preliminary card, any thoughts you want on those and we'll move on from there. Sound good. Sounds good. All right. We got Neil Magny turning around after getting absolutely decimated by Damian Maya, uh, just three weeks before this event turns around and beats Eric Silva it's a split decision because somehow one judge gave <laughs> two rounds to Eric Silva, which made absolutely no sense. Neil Magny clearly won at least two, if not all three rounds in this fight. Patrick Cote stops Josh Berkman, stops him in the third round in what was, it was an exciting third round, to be fair. It was a fun first round. Second round was garbage, but, you know, <laughs> bookended. It was kind of a newsworthy fight with Cote handing Berkman his first stoppage uh, loss by strikes. And surprisingly enough, Cote getting his first stoppage win in the UFC since, I don't remember what it was, 2007, 2008, something in that range. Um, Francisco Trinaldo upsets Chad Laprise by TKO in the first round. Uh, Laprise was actually looking pretty solid through the first two and a half minutes, and then he got caught and stopped. Uh, Olivier Aubin-Mercier just rode Tony Sims for three rounds. Dull fight. And Valerie Letourneau is quietly putting on quite a run at uh, at strawweight right now. Beats Marina Morose, who had upset Joanne Calderwood earlier this year. That's your main card on Fox Sports 1, which pretty much tells you what this was, this event was. Yeah, um, not a whole lot to go into here. Uh, by the way, the uh, the last stoppage in the UFC for Patrick Cote, Drew McFedries in 2008. There it is. Huh? How about that one? That's a blast from the past. Um, yeah, that, that, that was really the only, if there was a standout fight on the main card, that was the one. Um, kind of surprising, you know, Josh Berkman not being, you know, has never been stopped by strikes, and Patrick Cote rarely stops people by strikes, even though he's got pretty good power. He just doesn't, uh, he doesn't throw a lot of combinations. He throws a lot of one-shots and really clocked Berkman in the, early in the fight and, uh, uh, you know, ended up, ended up getting the stoppage in the third. But um, other than that, not a whole lot to talk about. I was really disappointed with the Eric Silva fight. I mean, he does have the, uh, he does have the propensity to not do a whole lot when, <laughs> when he's not knocking people out. Um, but it's disappointing when that's when that also comes to fruition. Even though it's kind of uh, it's almost predictable at this point. Real quick aside on Patrick Cote, just because this stood out to me from last night's UFC Tonight program, Forrest Griffin was on, and Forrest Griffin's been retired for three years now. 
but you know, original Ultimate Fighter winner, former light heavyweight champion, and he's talking about the first season of the Ultimate Fighter in anticipation of season twenty-one coming up. And he dropped this little note. The only fight that they watched while they were filming the Ultimate Fighter in the house, the only event that they watched, had Patrick Cote fighting Tito Ortiz. <laughs> UFC 50 from October of 2004. That's Holy what they smoke. watched in the house. That's how long Patrick Cote has been around. Wow. Yes. Wow. Patrick Cote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're, oh, we're, we're here almost 11 years after that. That was his very first UFC fight, but I just thought that was that was really an interesting side note that Forrest Griffin tossed in there. And then he, he was talking to Kenny Florian at the time and uh, made some offhanded comment of, we suck, he's he's still <laughs> fighting, we're, we're both out of it. Um, was, anyway. Uh, also on, uh, just, okay, the only thing worth really talking about on the undercard that I actually want to get to here is the Frankie Perez-Sam Stout fight. Because immediately after this fight finished, Frankie Perez stopped Sam Stout in 54 seconds. Sam Stout in the first 30 fights of his career had never been stopped. He's been knocked out in three straight fights. So my immediate my immediate reaction in my report and most people watching was, Sam Stout should retire. Yeah. Sam Stout's done, his chin is gone, he should retire. Well... The retirement that happened in the cage after the fight was Frankie Perez. Yeah. <laughs> I think 26 years old, I believe, is is uh, for Perez, and he just decided it's just not going to be for me, and I, I'm not going to put my family through it anymore. Coincidentally enough, he got a $50,000 post-fight bonus from this, which will be a nice, I suppose, consolation go-home prize for him, but I, I kind of commend the move. It's... Obviously, this sport isn't for everyone. The money is not there for everyone, which is kind of unfortunate and something that probably needs to change if we're going to get a high level of competitor to come into the sport at a younger age. And I'll tie this in with some other news that broke this week that 25-year-old Jordan Meehan has also retired. Now, Meehan is a little bit different because he had 40 fights to his credit and had been competing in MMA since he was, I think, 14 or 15 as an amateur, and since he was 16 as a pro, uh, fought Rory McDonald, also 16 at the time, in their respective, I believe, pro debuts. So, Mian had a much longer career, but two young guys here deciding to walk away from the sport within a few days of each other, a little bit interesting. Uh, thoughts there on, on Perez's decision, and then Mian as well. Yeah, it's it's good for Perez to to do it when he when he wanted to, you know, go out on a high note, get that UFC win, get a nice bonus, and then you know, obviously he'd been thinking about it for a while. It's not an on the spot decision, and uh, you know he wants to go back and still train, uh, you know, train his guys and all that kind of stuff. So hey, more power to him, you know. If if uh, if the fighting side is not is is not uh, your cup of tea, you know, you got to be completely into it in order to be successful. And if you're not going to be completely into it, it's good to get out. Why, uh, you know, good to get out rather than. Um, go in halfway, you know, that, that that's a, just a good way to get yourself hurt. Um, now, as for me, and, you know, there is, uh, there is chronological age and then there is fight age. And Jordan Meehan is not a young guy when it comes to being a fighter. I mean, like you said, he's been around for almost 10 years, uh, 40 fights. I mean, that's a ton of fights even for a 10-year career. 
You know, uh, so this it, it, it's not exactly surprising, especially given Mian's style. You know, he goes out there and he, he's a brawler. Um, he takes uh, takes a lot of damage as well. So uh, for him to retire at 25, I don't know if it was uh, I didn't see details on it. If it was something that he said he needed to do medically, or if it was just something he decided. To it was do. something he just he he just decided that he is he doesn't have the motivation to to be an active competitor and is yeah. getting more into teaching and is going to do more of that. Then and and that's part of it too. Is if if you don't have that that mindset, that mentality to push you to get into the cage, you shouldn't be getting into a cage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's like I, I think it was uh, Dustin Hazlitt a while back who retired yep. and said he was too happy to be uh, to be an MMA fighter anymore. You know, and that's that's kind of uh, it's kind of the same thing. You know, if you if you are uh, some guys, if you don't have that chip on your shoulder, that's what was your motivation before. And now you're in a different place, and you don't feel like you need to do it anymore. Some guys do it because they love it, you know. Um, but if if that motivator isn't there anymore, then man, get out because you're just going to get end up getting yourself hurt. And uh, you know, Jordan Meehan is not a guy who uh, didn't explore the, the the realms of MMA. You know, he's been around the block. Uh, he's fought on the biggest stage, had some had some really good fights, um, and put some savagery on some people. So you know, he's uh, he had a good run, and. and if he's not if he's not feeling it anymore to be a uh, a competitor, then hey, good for him for stepping away. Um, you know, it's not like we needed to see him get to eighty fights by thirty five. Yeah. Uh, back to Sunday's card uh, uh, on the Fox Sports One undercard. Felipe Aranches defeated Eve Jabuin. Uh, Nikita Krylov picked up another uh, win at light heavyweight over Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Both of those fights ended by submission in the first round. Aranchis actually had a really nice uh, armbar from the bottom um, that he set up over Jaboyan. Chris Kalaitis defeated Chris Beal. And then on fight pass, Shane Campbell beat uh, Elias Silverio. And Misha Sirkinov made a solid debut against Daniel Jolly with a first round knockout. Any final thoughts on UFC Fight Night 74 from Saskatoon? Yeah, there's not much to the to the prelims other than to say what the results were. Although I do want to I do want to point out that Nikita Krylov now has three straight wins in the UFC. Nikita Krylov, let me say that again, has three straight <laughs> wins in the UFC. This is a guy who lost to Soa Paleli, uh a couple of years ago at heavyweight. Yeah, that uh, was uh, that was one of the more that that was one of those fights where the the I, I was there in Milwaukee when it happened. Um, yeah. And the, the group that I was with, with Rich Hansen, was in there. Uh, I, I was down. I was credentialed for that one, so I wasn't with the group for the the event. But uh, the 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 group commented afterward because there were people actually just laughing at the fight, <laughs> just just laughing at that fight and how bad both guys were. Yes, yeah, so, that was going to be my next point. Is that that was. Uh, it was uh, distinctive for its badness. <laughs> in, you know, you have you've got uh, fights like um, Kevin Jordan, Gabriel Gonzaga, bad, where guys just don't do anything, and then you've got fights like Nikita Krylov and Soa Palele bad, where you're looking at this and saying, "Why are these guys in the UFC?" Yep. Well, yeah. and then he also has the distinction of being one of, uh, I think, two guys to have been beaten by a fl- Von Flu choke in the UFC. So <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Um, three straight wins. Yeah, three straight wins. That yeah. that tells you all you need to know about the depth of light heavyweight. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Tomorrow night, uh, Bellator is back on Spike for their first fight, in, first first event in over a month. 
Bellator 141, and it's the Bellator debut for Melvin Gallard, who takes on uh, Minnesota's Brandon Gertz. Uh, someone uh, interesting uh, note on Brandon Gertz that ties into uh, I think the last time I saw you in person. Uh, the last uh, the one time I saw Brandon Gertz fight live, he lost to Eric Wisely because his arm broke when he blocked a kick. <laughs> Eric Wisely parlayed that win into a shot in the UFC mm-hmm. where he got calf slicered in front of us in Chicago yes. at UFC on Fox. Yes, I do remember that. It was the the Brandon Gertz fight was the one right before that. Uh, then I saw that one here in, in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, uh, right before Wisely got to the UFC. And I remember thinking... Yeah, he didn't actually win that fight. Gertz, Gertz was Gertz was actually kind of beating the crap out of him, and then blocked a kick wrong, and his arm broke. That's that's in the second round, near the end of the second round. That's how that fight ended. So Gertz, Gertz has he's done better as of late. Since then, he has uh, gone four and two, all in Bellator. He does have a knockout loss to Derek Anderson, lost a decision to Derek Campos, uh, but he's he's won three of his last four. All three of those wins have come in the first round. Gallard, as we know, is a historic head case and is coming off of a very public and um, not very positive split with the World Series of Fighting after he missed weight in two straight fights and then trash-talked the organization so badly the week into his third scheduled fight that they said, nah, we're going to take you off, and <laughs> released him. Um, I mean, Gallard obviously should win this fight, but it's it's a it, I wouldn't be shocked if Gallard comes into Bellator, gets his paycheck, and loses. Yeah, I'm, I'm never shocked by a Melvin Gillard loss, no matter who he's fighting at this point. You know, I mean, how many how many Melvin Gillard redemption stories is this now? Like, how many chances is he on? Like, six or seven? I don't know. Uh, it's Every time you see the guy, you know, it, it's the same old thing. Is like, you know, I'm, I'm going to turn things around. I'm going to do better. I'm going to, I'm motivated now and blah, 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 blah. I mean, the guy gets, the guy gets by and wins a lot of fights on physical talent alone, you know, uh, like, as you said, it's, so it's, he's, he's kind of a well-known head case, but when he gets in there and he's not ahead, if he's, if he's losing at all, you know, you might as well forget about it. You know, it's, it's, uh, if, if he gets in trouble, this is not a guy who tends to persevere necessarily. Um, so, you know, it wouldn't surprise me either way, uh, whether he goes out there and, and knocks out Brandon Gertz in a, you know, under 20 seconds or if he goes in there and gets submitted or gets ground out uh, via decision, there's there's no real surprising outcome here. Yep. Um, I think uh, a more interesting story for this card on Friday night on Spike is the return of Justin Wren. Uh, Ultimate Fighter Heavyweights, Season 10 competitor. He Yeesh. lost his one fight in the UFC on that finale. Didn't get another fight in the UFC. Fought three times in 2010 won all three of those fights, and then left the sport. He found a different calling. He For the last five years, he's been uh, going back and forth uh, to the Democratic Republic of the Congo and dealing with a and helping a tribe of pygmies 
and he's it's it's an interesting story for for Ren. He's got a book out about it right now, and he's making his return to the sport after uh, full five years out of it on this card. So interesting return here. Um, I, I'm curious to see how he looks after five years out of the cage. He had some some talent definitely when he came on that heavyweight heavyweight season of the Ultimate Fighter, and um, has been doing good. Uh, he's been doing a lot of good outside of sport, so it's it's kind of cool to see someone who seems to be a very good guy getting a chance uh, to to get back into the mix here uh, on national television tomorrow night. Yeah, I always like to root for the good guys. It, it'll be I'm I'm interested to see that he is uh, you know he's been working in the Congo for five years and he's still a heavyweight. So that must mean that his his weight really fits his frame. Because uh, I don't think he spent that much time in Africa and still come back a big dude. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it should be interesting to see what he does here. Uh, also on this card, Patrick E. Pitbull Freyhe, uh, Patricio's brother, takes on Sa'adawad in a lightweight bout. Things got heated between those camps earlier this week. Uh, and then a heavyweight bout between uh, Rafael Butler and Lorenzo Hood rounds out the... Uh, Spike TV card. Interestingly enough, um, the uh, undercard here that's going to air pretty much only on Spike.com has three different women's bouts, including the return of Marlos Kunin. I'm curious as to why Marlos Kunin is not on Spike TV tomorrow, hmm. but there you have it. Yeah, that's uh, that's yeah. something. Uh, kind of kind of weird, but um, I, I you know you got the uh, wherever the Pitbull brothers go. That's uh, violence is pretty much where where they are. And uh, same thing for Saadawad. So that's that should should be a, a pretty good fight there. I think that's you know uh, there's not a ton that's uh, that's that intrigue on this card, but I think that uh, that uh, Pitbull and Awad fight is toward the top of the list. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good stuff. Uh, the much of the news this last week has been set up for the rest of the year and into UFC 195 on January 2nd. That is going to close out the next big stretch of events. Um, If you recall, last fall, and then again this spring, the UFC held two different press conferences featuring members of the cards over uh, a two, three-month stretch. Uh, I, I can't remember what the second one was called, but I remember the first was The Time Is Now, and they had that as branding for several events in a row. Um, Well, the stretch from UFC Fight Night 75 in Japan through uh, UFC 195 January 2nd, 2016 from Las Vegas is going, it has been dubbed Go Big. They are uh, uh, running... 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 events in a 100-day span. And they're going to have a press conference featuring fighters from all of these uh, events in Las Vegas next Friday, September 4th, the day before UFC 191, to kick things off. There's a lot of big fights in this stretch, Sean. There are... Yeah. There are a lot of big fights, and December is turning out to be perhaps the best month in UFC history, barring injury. It, yeah, it's, you got to throw that asterisk, asterisk but out there. From, from a fight quality standpoint, 
Just just December. Just December. Right now we have Frankie Edgar, Chad Mendez, Habib Nurmagomedov, Tony Ferguson uh, as the top two on the Ultimate Fighter finale. We have Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor, Chris Weidman, Luke Rockhold, Jacare Souza, Yoel Romero. That's five fights on two main cards in two nights to kick off the December schedule. You go a week after that, we got Rafael Dos Anjos, Donald Cerrone, Junior Dos Santos, Alistair Overeem, Michael Johnson, Nate Diaz, uh, Josh Saman against a returning Tamden McCrory, which is just one hell of a freaking fight. Yeah. And then you turn it around to, to start off 2016 with another Ronda Rousey fight. It's not the greatest Ronda Rousey fight, but you got Ronda Rousey <laughs> and Joanna Junjacek on the same card together. Finally. Uh, it, but just even taking that out of it, those four events in December right now have some incredible fights. Incredible, or th- sorry, three events. Three events in December have s- some absolutely incredible fights within eight days of one another. That might be the best eight-day stretch the UFC is ever going to have, and I really hope I didn't just jinx that. <laughs> well, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with another eight-day stretch uh, with that has anything close to that kind of fight quality. I mean, just the top three of, uh, what is it, UFC 194? Yep. The, the top three of that card is insane. You don't even need any more fights on that card. I would pay, I would pay more than the cover price of that, that card for those three fights only. I mean, that, that's, uh, those are just uh, unbelievable fights, and it's going to be great um, with the asterisk of barring injury. Of course, because we have, you know, we say that, but both Chris Weidman and Jose Aldo are involved. So, you know, we're going to get what we're going to get. Hopefully, hopefully they're all there, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, the JDS and Overeem fight, when I saw that announced, I was like, haven't they fought before? And then I looked it up and they haven't. For some reason, it feels like They've that been, fight should have happened. It's been talked about since, I want to say something like UFC 147, 146, something in that range. It's been a discussion. So it's yeah. been a long time that it's been something that should have happened. I, initially, I think it was going to be uh, Overeem and JDS after Overeem beat Lesnar. And then they had the drug test failure for Overeem that took him out a year. Uh, and I think that's what threw everything off. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And then it feels like, I mean, it feels like it's been a long time since we've seen uh, Junior Dos Santos. I mean, obviously it was it was December of last year, but it feels like a, it feels like it's been a really long time, probably because of the number of events that have passed since then. Well, not, but, only, uh, that, not only that, but you think about the fact that that December fight was his first since October of the year before. Yeah, that's right. So That's right. It, 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 you know, it's going to be, with, with this fight in December, it'll be two fights within two years. Two years. And it's, it's hard to keep in the, in the memory of anyone, let yeah. alone even hardcore fans. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. It feels like, I mean, it just feels like he's been gone forever. You know, this, he, yeah. was fighting, he was fighting twice a year for a while there. And uh, two, three times a year, I think. But anyway. One of the reasons uh, this heavyweight division has continued to be occupied by guys from the past who just yeah. find ways to win fights and stay relevant because so many others are not <laughs> sticking around to stay Cause relevant. Because Junior Dos Santos is not in there knocking them out. So. <laughs> 
pretty much. Because <laughs> if you put him in there with a lot of those guys that are uh, fighting to stay relevant, he's knocking them out. <laughs> it's very true. It's very, very true. Um, of course, I should say that's uh, provided he is still the same guy that he has been because, man, he's taken – he's been in there. He's been in some wars in his last few fights. Um, but anyway, uh, moving on. Let's talk about this lightweight division here because there yes. are – between these three events in this eight-day stretch – there is just tons and tons, and I don't think that the UFC is done adding to it. Because uh, right now, obviously, we've got uh, Dos Anjos Cerrone for the title on December 19th. That card also right now has Michael Johnson, Nate Diaz, which is a, a very good lightweight fight. Johnson rightfully getting a big name after getting screwed against uh, Benil Dariush in his last fight. Um, but then... Uh, Nurmagomedov, Tony Ferguson, his that's a that is it, some kind of matchmaking oh right there, my, man. And you look at these fights, and just with those those three named, you're saying eh, there's not very many options then for Anthony Pettis's next fight. But it really seems Anthony Pettis is going to be fighting either Eddie Alvarez or Edson Barbosa, and I kind of love both matchups. <laughs> Yeah, you can't go wrong, really. Uh, at the top end of the lightweight division, um, you're pretty much guaranteed a good fight. Uh, I, I, like you said, I think Tony Ferguson and, and Nurmagomedov uh, is probably the best matchmaking, best matchmaking out of all the fights that you talked about. Um, you know, the obvious uh, match was Nurmagomedov and Nate Diaz after the little dust up at the World Series of Fighting, but that's not a really a great fight because Nurmagomedov would win that one pretty easily. And, and this one, um, you know, I, I think on paper. You've got Nurmagomedov, who is a, a great wrestler, you know, and he's very capable of taking guys down and just staying on them, uh, you know, for the for the duration of the fight. Something he's done several times before. But you have Tony Ferguson, who is white hot right now and who is just destroying people. I mean, yes, he didn't stop Josh Thompson, but man, he demolished Josh, Josh Thompson throughout that fight. And you know, Nurmagomedov is a perfect fight for him. You know, in a couple of ways, you've got he's coming off of what a year and a half layoff by the time this fight happens. So you never know exactly yep. what you're going to get with Nurmagomedov. So even if he goes in there with a distinct wrestling advantage, which you know obviously he will, he's he's going to have a year and a half of cage rust on there. So the timing aspect is really it really works out well for Tony Ferguson, um, especially since he's been active and has not taken a whole lot of damage over the course of uh, you know the past couple of years. Really, he's just been smoking guys. That's a good point. So. Uh, so I, th- I think it really works in, in, in Ferguson's favor in that case. Um, but then you also have, you know, Nurmagomedov uh, was kind of streaking before he went down with injury. And, uh, I mean, obviously, he he wasn't – I guess he had the one fight in 2014 and, and hadn't fought since since 2013 before that. But still, he had been making a nice run in the lightweight division. He'd been talked about for a t- uh, as a title contender and all that kind of stuff. So if he comes in there and beats Tony Ferguson – uh, you know, that is a, a pretty significant feather in his cap. You could make an argument that he would deserve a title shot right after that, especially coming off of the win over Rafael Dos Anjos before the Ferguson fight. Uh, you could make that argument that he that he should get thrown in the mix right away. But he could also, you know, it's not a, a sure thing. You know, he could he could still be thrown in there with another top guy um, before being given a title shot if that's something that the UFC doesn't want to do right away in his, in his first, first fight back. And it wouldn't be unthinkable. So it's really, it's really, really good matchmaking. I'm really curious to see how this lightweight division unfolds because it, it all depends on 
what happens in the Dos Anjos Cerrone rematch, or yeah, yeah. in yeah. that rematch, because if Cerrone does. wins that fight, okay, you you might just go right to immediate rubber match, but if Cerrone wins that fight, Anthony Pettis wins his fight, Anthony Pettis stopped Donald Cerrone, yeah. that's that's an option. If Dos Anjos beats Cerrone, Nurmagomedov wins, that's a clear fight to make, but it kind of depends on how Nurmagomedov looks and whether he stays healthy. Again, Pettis could plug right into a rematch if he picks up a win over someone like Barbosa or Alvarez. Uh, so I, I still think it's Nurmagomedov and Anthony Pettis as the two likely potential next title challengers. But if Cerrone pulls off the upset, that fight's happening again. Yeah, absolutely. And then imagine if you get Tony Ferguson winning this fight, and yep. then you throw him in the title yep. mix along with Anthony Pettis and Rafa Dos Anjos and Donald Cerrone. I mean, that's just uh, that's just, just an incredible just, recipe for violence. Just from a, just from a pure, let's get as many good fights as we can. Yeah. out of the way. <laughs> I think perfect scenario is Ferguson pulls off the upset. Anthony Pettis beats someone. Donald Cerrone beats Dos Anjos, so you set up a third fight there, and then Pettis and Ferguson fight to face the winner later in oh. 2016. Oh my goodness. Uh, Pettis and Ferguson, that <laughs> is a crazy, crazy <laughs> awesome fight. Uh, this lightweight division, man, it, it continues It continues to be intriguing. It's all it, it has been for pretty much its entire history, at least at the very top end. It's one of the most crowded divisions in the entire sport because there's... There is a lot of middling to high-end talent in that kind of middle group, and it's hard for some guys to really stand out. But there, there are some that who have been making waves and making their own mark, and I think we're seeing a lot more of them emerge and weed themselves out from the pack uh, with... Yeah. I mean, even, even a guy like Michael Johnson, yeah. you know, Michael Johnson has been has been looking pretty good. I mean, besides that loss to Benil Darius, obviously, which was not should not have really been a loss. Um, you know, he's got the Edson Barboza win in there. He's got a Gleason Tebow win in there. Uh, Joe Lozon, you know, he's been beating some tough guys. Um, you know, he's a he's a he's a good guy to have in the mix, too. It's uh, that lightweight division is just crazy. It's crazy deep. It's like the opposite of the heavyweight division. Yeah. <laughs> uh- Featherweight still has a lot going on, especially in this December stretch as well. Obviously, Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor are finally fighting at UFC 194. Um, they had a lot of options that they could have gone with for Frankie Edgar. Obviously, yeah. Max Holloway and Jeremy Stevens were named, but they decided to make the Chad Mendez fight. That's going to be five rounds, Ultimate Fighter finale, main event. If something happens to Aldo or McGregor before that, I think Edgar gets pulled into that UFC yeah. 194 main event, which is perfect. Yep. I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts on the Chad Mendez booking, given that Mendez lost to, to McGregor on just two weeks' notice in July and lost to Aldo last October. It's a fight that could have come together this summer anyway, or this fall had... Uh, the McGregor Mendez fight not been a necessity, but now it's actually going to happen. It's as dangerous a fight for Frankie Edgar as there is to take without the title being on the line. 
Yeah, I think this is more smart matchmaking, honestly, um, because you've got Chad Mendez, and nobody is under any illusions that Chad Mendez is a diminished fighter, notwithstanding his losses uh, to, to Aldo and, and uh, McGregor. And, you know, this fight has had to happen at some point. And, you know, you can't have the, uh, the guys, the two guys in the top four that are not going to fight each other. So in order to have this fight happen later, you would have to have Frankie Edgar... Uh, probably win another fight and then get a title shot. Well, then if he is the champion, Chad Mendes is not going to title shot anytime soon. And that's a fight that's not going to happen until both guys are probably, you know, until it's down the line and, and one, or, one or both of them is no longer in their prime. So I think this is a smart matchmaking for, from a fan perspective because I want to see this fight and I want to see it go five rounds. So putting it in a main event of a, uh, of a tough finale card, which, my gosh, it, if you want to draw some eyeballs, well, hopefully draw some eyeballs to a tough finale card, this is the way to do it, is to get, get a couple of guys who are excellent, excellent fighters. And then is this the same card with uh, Diaz and Johnson? No, uh, Diaz Johnson is uh, the Fox card with Dos Anjos oh, right. Cerrone. This is the same card with Nurmagomedov Ferguson. Right, right, It right, also right. has Joe Lozon against Evan Dunham at lightweight and oh, a returning Mike Pierce for his first fight since he his leg got destroyed by Husamar Polaris taking on Ryan LaFlair. Those are oh, the first smokes. four fights for this card. That's a great card. Yes. <laughs> that's a really good card. It's a legitimately card. great card that's really going is. to be it's that's going to be uh taken down a peg by nature of hosting a <laughs> Ultimate Fighter finale finals fight. <laughs> Yeah, that's really, really good. I and, and like I said, I, I really think that Edgar Mendez is a, is a smart. It's a smart fight to make um, if you're looking at it from a fan perspective, you know. And really, logistically, from the UFC's perspective, they're not hurting for guys for upper level talent at featherweight. You know, there's a lot of talent at featherweight. Um, you know, it, just if, going back uh, to lightweight for a second too. It the UFC 194 card. The undercard right now has three fights at 155 pounds currently scheduled. You got John McDessey against Yancey Medeiros, Leonardo Santos against Kevin Lee, and Joe Proctor against Megamed Mustafaev. So, you know, not in the high end of that, but McDessey Medeiros is all kinds of fun. Oh, yeah. And Santos Lee is sneaky in how good that fight is. Yeah, yeah, very sneaky. That's that's one of those guys. That both of those guys are kind of flying under the radar. Oh, also, um, oh, yeah, another another 155 pound fight for the Fox card. Nick Lentz moving back to 155 for a one off against Danny Castillo. Oh, that's a good fight too. So that's another sneaky good fight because those are not two guys that you necessarily equate with great fights, but they both put on pretty good fights. Yeah, <laughs> and so there's there's a ton to like at 155 pounds and 145 pounds just in that stretch. Yeah, we're going to know a lot more about both of those divisions after December is over, and it's going to be a lot of fun getting there. I mean, th- those are some just tremendous fights. All right. We're, we're bouncing all over the place on this, and I'm going to continue to do so. So I'm going to go ahead here to UFC 195 and then backtrack a bit to some of the stuff this fall because there's still some stuff to get into regarding what's coming in November especially, but uh, even some more of the uh, more recent fight bookings. But... UFC 195, January 2nd, kicking off the new year. Ronda Rousey, fresh off of uh, what is now being dubbed just over 900,000 buys for UFC 190, essentially by herself. The highest selling pay-per-view since uh, UFC 168 in 2013, which she was also a part of. Um, Rousey, obviously, 
massive star on her own. People are buying her pay-per-views that don't normally buy UFC pay-per-views, I believe. I think that's a big part of her appeal right now is she's getting a demographic that doesn't necessarily watch the UFC regularly. And that's important for building a fan base and getting more people interested. Uh, Rousey's doing all that. But instead of the expected Misha Tate fight on this card, she's fighting Holly Holm. And Holly Holm, well, she has, you know, her boxing credentials and she's undefeated in the sport. Her first two fights in the UFC, just, they haven't been great. Uh, that's just being nice about it. <laughs> she beat Raquel Pennington. She beat Marion Renault. She was the better fighter in both. Didn't look particularly great in either. And doesn't do anything her boxing skill set notwithstanding that makes you believe she has a chance to survive more than a couple of minutes with Ronda Rousey. Uh, what do you, what do you think of this booking Misha Tate getting over, uh, just passed over? Um, what was your reaction to this fight being the one that's been made? This is the opposite of smart matchmaking. (laughs) It it seems like it it seems like one of those things where everyone was saying, "Oh, Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey, three, whatever." It's not going to be that great, and no one was real excited about seeing it. So then the UFC responds by putting Holly Holm in there. Everyone says, "Well, see, but that we weren't really talking about Misha Tate. We were talking more about the division not being all that good (laughs) in comparison to Ronda Rousey." I'm going to be honest. I would have much rather seen a third Misha Tate fight at this point. That's this fight. Yeah, and I think that's Holly the, Holmes I think just that's not ready. Here. Yeah, she's not exactly. ready. I think that's the thing here is like people may not have been all that excited about Misha Tate fighting Ronda Rousey for a third time, but I think they're less excited about seeing Holly Holm go in there because we know that Misha Tate can last a couple of rounds with Ronda Rousey, even if she, you know, even if she ends up losing and it's all, even uh, if it's not all that competitive. If Ronda Rousey goes in there with Holly Holm, this it's not that's not going a minute. Come on, <laughs> that fight's going to be over immediately. You know. Uh, I'd rather see Ronda Rousey fight Katzengano again, honestly. You know, uh, yeah, it's at least it's with the a... Misha Tate booking, you would have had someone who could claim to have been in the cage with Ronda yes. Rousey longer than the rest of her opponents combined, because yes. that is the case. Exactly, Misha Tate has been in the cage with Ronda Rousey longer than every one of Rousey's other com- uh, opponents combined. Yeah, Rousey has beaten. Uh, what what are, what are we on? What, what's her record now? Twelve and zero. Yeah. Twelve and zero. So she's beaten ten other fighters in less time than Misha Tate has survived with her. Granted, yeah. most of that is from the one fight, but even taking into account the first one, she lasted, I think, more combined in that first fight than Rousey's first four. Yeah. And it was only Liz Carmouche in Rousey's UFC debut who had beaten Tate's time in the first round. And then Tate turns around and goes into the third. Again, Tate has shown improvements. I don't think she stands a chance of actually beating Ronda Rousey. Yeah, but I'm, nobody does. I don't I don't think I don't think the third fight is is necessarily all that intriguing, but I I think there is more intrigue in saying, "Hey, Misha Tate's been in there with Ronda Rousey for what is it now? Sixteen minutes? 
Yeah. Uh, she's been in the cage with Rousey for 16 minutes. She has more knowledge of what Ronda Rousey is going to bring to her than any other fighter could possibly have. And she has shown improvement since that fight. There's an argument to be made that there is some level of, well, what can she do now? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. With, with and, Holly and- Holm looking at what happened against Raquel Pennington and Marion Renault, both fighters who are nowhere, anywhere close to the level of Ronda Rousey. Or Misha Tate. Or Misha Tate. Or Misha Tate. It's, I just, I don't think this is a $900,000 buy show, even with Ronda Rousey by herself, because at least with Betch Cohea, they had a little bit more heat on it. Yeah. Although, the offset of that is, had the Betch Cohea fight happen in Vegas, that could have been even bigger, considering how poorly fights usually sell on pay-per-view when they're not taking place in the United States or Canada. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I mean by this. This doesn't seem like very smart matchmaking. It like the the selling points for Misha Tate for a third Misha Tate fight were pretty easy. You know, yep. they are all the things that you said. Misha Tate has looked great in her last few fights. They also you know? seem to set up perfectly to Cyborg in the summer. Exactly, exactly, and and that's that's the whole thing. I have to wonder if Ronda Rousey said, uh, you know, I've already fought Misha Tate twice. I don't want to fight Misha Tate again. Give me someone I haven't fought. And they said, well, let's throw Holly Holm in there. And then she says, okay, well, I'll just fight Holly Holm, and then I'll fight uh, Cyborg in the summertime, and then I'll retire. You know? And, uh, you know, it, it kind of makes you wonder if, if she had a hand in that. Um, you know, obviously the UFC, you know, they, they did they did kind of the UFC thing and switched the fight without telling Misha Tate. And, uh, you know, obviously if Ronda Rousey was involved with the decision, they are not going to say a word of that to, to anybody, let alone Misha Tate. Um but yeah, it, it would not surprise me if that's one of the, what ended up happening. Uh, though, you know, I, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't matter all that much who Ronda Rousey is throwing around for all of 25 seconds. I guess not. But uh, it seems like they, they could have had a, a better fight had they booked Misha Tate for a third time. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's back up to November because November is another really, really busy month. Um this one has four fight cards, I believe. I might be wrong on that. Nope, four fight cards. We've got UFC Fight Night 77 from Sao Paulo, Brazil, with the third fight between Vitor Belfort and Dan Henderson. Also, Glover Teixeira, Patrick Cummins, Fabio Maldonado, Tom Lawler. Um, that's looks to be your top three on that one. Uh, also on free TV, UFC Fight Night 78 will be the Ultimate Fighter Latin America 2 finale. Matt Brown, Kelvin Gastelum, Efrain Escadero against Leandro Silva, Ricardo Lamas welcoming Diego Sanchez to featherweight, Juicy A. Formiga taking on Henry Cejudo, Eric Perez against Damian Stasiak. This is actually a really solid Mexico card, especially since it's on free TV and they're not asking us to watch uh, Ultimate Fighter finales on pay-per-view. <laughs> and then the UFC heads to Seoul, South Korea. Benson Henderson in his second welterweight fight in the UFC against Tiago Alves. Mirko Krokop against Anthony Hamilton. Dong Young Kim against Jorge Masvidal. And the return of Yoshihiro Akiyama, sexy hey. himself, taking on Alberto Mina. Um, four solid events, uh, because the one that I 
haven't mentioned yet is UFC 193 on pay-per-view in Melbourne, where they are going to be running Etihad Stadium. First ever trip to the state of Victoria in Australia. They are bringing Robbie Lawler, Carlos Condit, Mark Hunt, Antonio Silva, two Michael Bisping, Robert Whitaker, and more to a stadium that might be configured to beat the Uf- the record attendance set at UFC 129. This stadium, uh, configured for this event, could hold upwards of 70,000 fans. Yeah. This is a big month. Yeah. Uh, well, let me start with the stadium card, because if you told me that the UFC was going to book a stadium show and headline it with Robbie Lawler and Carlos Condit, I would say, oh, great, that's a fantastic fight, and I cannot wait to see it, and I'm very excited. And then you told me the rest of the card was what it is here. Mark Hunt, Antonio Silva, Michael Bissing, Robert Ritter, Jared Rolschel, Stefan Struve, uh, Akbar Ariola, Jake Matthews. And that's as far as you get before you say Akbar Ariola. I'm saying they're going to put that in the stadium? Because <laughs> the, uh, I mean, I, I, I will admit to not knowing how much of a drawing card Waller Condit is in Australia. Maybe it'll be huge. But I can't imagine that the rest of that card is going to draw 70,000 people into a stadium. Here's uh, here's the thing. Here here's here's the side argument to that. Up until earlier this year, cage fighting was banned in uh, the state of Victoria in Australia. A new political party came into power earlier this year and lifted that ban. The, the UFC has not been to Melbourne because of that cage ban. MMA wasn't banned. There right. was MMA allowed in rings. But the UFC was not allowed to come to that area of the country because of this ban on a cage apparatus having fights taking place um, within. And so because that ban has been lifted, this is the first time the UFC has come, and it's probably the biggest fight card that the UFC has brought to Australia. Oh, yeah, no question. And... and, and, and you know, you might scoff at that with some of the names that you, that you said, and yes, there's there's something to that. But Robert Whitaker and Mark Hunt, Mark right Hunt, there, yeah. and Michael Bisping, really. Well, it, well, yeah, Michael Bisping too. But Whitaker being from uh, uh, that that region, Mark Hunt yeah. himself, you know, a New Zealander native yeah. who has uh, made Australia his home, and the fact that Hunt and Silva had a five round war with each other in Australia in front of a different part of those those fans. You know, you're going to have people traveling from all over Australia for this this event because it is one of the bigger Australian events that they have put together. I I think that they have a chance to break the record of 55,000 fans. I do. Yeah, now that uh, now that you have set me straight on that, that makes a little more sense because this is more this is more than an MMA card. It's a, yeah. it's a celebration. It's a celebration it's a, of the fact yeah. that that the UFC can now be there and exactly. and be. In They've Melbourne. been waiting for it. They've been yes. wanting it, and now here it is. Yes, yeah. and and they get a title fight. Yes. So it's basically yeah. So that's that that makes a lot more sense now. And and uh, I I I would tend to agree with you then if uh, uh, it, with all that being the case, they I think they do have a pretty good shot at uh, at filling that place up, which obviously. You know they are smarter than I am when it comes to booking venues, so they would have known that you know <laughs> before going in. <laughs> what do you think about Ben Henderson, Tiago Alves? I think that that is a fascinating fight. Um, I, I think it's really, it, yeah, it's really interesting because 
Tiago Elvis was talking about going to 155, by the way, which I don't know how in the world he was going to ever make 155. Probably the same way that Diego Sanchez is making featherweight. I really but, hope someone hey. set him straight, and that's why he agreed to take this fight, because yeah. Yeah, it's, seriously. it's like, okay, you don't need to go to 155. We'll bring a 155 or two. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, this is this is a really really good fight, I'm, and I have no idea how to call it. Honestly, I, I think it's just, I think it's a really uh, I, it's a really good matchmaking. I think Ben Henderson should win this fight nine times out of ten. Ben, just Ben Henderson is a better fighter, plain and simple. He is a better fighter than Tiago Alves. Alves hits hard as hell. Henderson is not easy to stop. That that's kind yeah. of where I'm at on that one. I think Ben Henderson is a much better fighter in all aspects of the game than is Tiago Alves. And in a five-round fight... Yes, in five rounds, I will give you yes. That yep. definitely favors Henderson. Um, I don't know that I would go as far as to say Ben Henderson is that much better than Tiago Alves in all aspects of the game, but maybe in 2015. Um, and I well, guess that's, that's what we're talking about. I'm not saying Tiago Alves from six years ago when he fought <laughs> right. George St. Pierre. I'm saying... In 2015, right now, Benson yes. Henderson is a better fighter than the Tiago Elves that we just saw get knocked out by Carlos Condit. Yes, I, that is that would be hard to argue. Um, uh, yeah, but I, I am still interested in this fight. I think it's still a good. I think it's still a good piece of matchmaking. Yeah. Um, not only just to see, you know, what else Ben, ben Henderson has at 170, but also to kind of gauge where Alves is right now. Yeah. Um. I really don't care about Crow Cop at all. Nope. nope not at all. Um, I am really interested in Dong Young Kim against uh, Jorge Masvidal. That's a great fight. That's a really good fight. Yeah. Uh, and I love how they've been stashing Sexy Yama in their back pocket till they go to Korea. <laughs> it's, like, it's it's interesting because with his background, obviously, he, he did represent South Korea in the um, Asian judo championships one year and then represented japan the year after he's (laughs) he's got an interesting background over there but yeah um you know akiyama picked up a win the last time he was in the cage sure it was it'll be well over a year in between fights again but still it works it works yeah he doesn't need to fight all the time he's over there making music videos or something yeah um a couple other koreans are going to be on that card and hyungyu lim and donghi yang uh, both have matchups for the event. Uh, Lim taking on Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos uh, yep. and uh, Yang taking on Jake Collier. Those fights are have both been booked for the event as well. Um, week before the Mexico City card, uh, again, like we talked about, really solid. Really solid for a Fox, just for any Fox Sports 1 event, let alone with what they've put in Mexico, but Matt Brown, Kelvin Gastelum is a hell of a fight. Yes. Um, Escudero, Leandro Silva. It's, it's solid. Escudero, obviously coaching the ultimate fighter, Latin America too. So he was going to get a more prominent fight than he might've otherwise. Um, I really, really, really hope Ricardo Lamas just puts Diego Sanchez out of his misery. <laughs> so we don't have another oh. robbery decision. Um, oh. It's how interesting is it that, I, I I think the only two fighters that will have com- who, who who will have competed in four separate weight classes were the very first finalists on the <laughs> Ultimate Fighter because Kenny Florian did it, 
Yep. I think Diego Sanchez is going to be the only other one. I can't think of any other examples of a fighter who has competed in four separate weight classes. Yeah, at least in the UFC. I mean, there's BJ yeah. Penn who was well, competing yeah, in, every, not, in every not, weight I'm class. I'm not but, talking about BJ yeah. Penn <laughs> trying to fight Leona Machida because he's a crazy man. <laughs> Sorry, I had to play Rich Hansen there and bring up BJ <laughs> Penn. Um, yeah, it's yeah. I I don't understand. I don't understand how Diego Sanchez is supposed to make 145. I mean, that's just, it seems a little silly to me. I, I mean, especially, I mean, the okay. guy... Okay, to, what about Diego Sanchez's career the last six years has not seemed silly to you? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the guy hasn't won a fight, I mean, legitimately, for, I don't even know, what, like five years? I think it was I mean, Paulo Tiago. Uh, yeah, Paulo Tiago, was... 2010. It's it's been almost five years since he won a fight that he actually legitimately won. Yeah, and and the fights and really, you know, you can talk about robberies. Diego Sanchez has three of the worst robberies on his record that you will ever see. Like it's yep. wor- he Pierce and Bobby and wins. Kim and are all those are oh. all terrible, terrible decisions. Oh, awful, awful stuff. I mean, this worse than uh, way worse than uh, Leonard Garcia will ever see. Yes. As far as as far as fluky wins, my gosh. Um, so yeah, hopefully Ricardo Lamas um, just does us all a favor and and makes him retire because uh, Ricardo Lamas can be a bit of a savage. So you know, Diego Sanchez is not going to be in for a fun night against Ricardo Lamas. I don't think he's a guy that that, uh, that he's going to go in there and pull out a fluke decision against. Yeah. I, I don't see that happening. Um. Any thoughts on the Brazil card with Belfort Henderson to share Cummins? I. Th- I actually kind of like that Shara Cummins matchup, and Fab- Fabio Maldonado, Tom Lawler is another one. one of those kind of sneaky, excellent fights. Just stylistically, you know that's they're not they're not the greatest fighters. They're not going to be in the elite of the elite. They're not going to be in the title picture. But you look at that matchup and you say, "Damn it, I want to watch that fight." Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this it's the fight, it's the kind of fight where you get to the third round and you're saying, "How are both of these guys still standing?" Yes. Yeah, I like it. All right, let's move back into October. Uh, again, winding our way back to the more recent stuff as we uh, just run down the go-big schedule of events. Um, USC Fight Night 76 in Dublin. It, it's it's solid. I'm still not sure if they're trying to air this on FS1 or if it's going to be a Fight Pass card yet, but I really like the main event. Dustin Poirier, Joseph Duffy fantastic lightweight fight. Joseph yes. Duffy deserves a chance to headline in Ireland. I think it's a perfect perfect fight for Dublin for this level of card. It wasn't going to be a Conor McGregor-style event, so putting Joseph Duffy here, I think, is perfect. Yep. Uh, Stipe Miocic, Ben Rothwell, very good heavyweight fight. Yes. Very good heavyweight fight. You've got a couple of prospects in Nicholas Dalby against Darren Till, on this, Patty Holohan against Louis Smolka is another one of those kind of. It doesn't like jump out to you, but it's a really good flyweight fight. Um, yeah. Reza Madadi is back in the UFC after snatching some purses in Sweden, <laughs> and he's taking on Norman Park. Uh, hey, on the grand scheme of things, snatching purses ain't that bad. Nah, as compared to what some of the, some of the things the other guys have done. Yeah. I I prefer the snatching purses to uh, 
Is that yoga mats? Yeah, that's exactly where I was going with that. Thank you for reading my mind. Um, hopefully, Cahal Pendred has his last stand in the UFC against Tom Breeze. Um, yeah, that's... I don't really have any much much more to add there. Any other thoughts on the Ireland card right now? Um, I'm, I'm with you. I think Joseph Duffy, Justin Poirier is a really, really good fight, uh, as is Stephen Miocic and uh, Ben Rothwell. Both really excellent, relevant fights. Uh, the rest of the card, meh, it's okay. Yeah. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, UFC 192, Houston, Texas, October 3rd. Daniel Cormier against Alexander Gustafson. Johnny Hendricks against Teron Woodley. Ryan Bader against Rashad Evans. Uh, that is your top three. We've also got uh, Joseph Benavidez against Ali Baga Utinov. Sean Jordan against Ruslan Megamedov. Jessica I against Juliana Pena. Rosnami Yunus is on this card. Um, there, there's, there's a lot on this undercard to like, trying to distract you from the fact that Alexander Gustafson is getting a title fight after getting knocked up out in January. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's a, uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty solid card. I mean, you've got, I like Johnny Hendricks, Tyron Woodley a lot. Um, I actually like Sean Jordan, Ruslan Magomedov quite a bit. Uh, I mean, it might be sloppy. But, uh, Sean be- Jordan pulled off the second sweet chin music of the year in the UFC, <laughs> following up on Luis Smolka. So, you know, I'm 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 okay with him. Yeah, it's that's a I think that's a that's a sneaky fun fight. Um, Ali Bagotinov and Joseph Benavidez, yes, please. Um, let's see what else we got here. Yeah, Derek Derek Lewis is always fun to watch, whether he's winning or losing. And uh, yeah, it, it, there's nothing wrong with that card. It's a, it's a fun card. Um, you know, m- maybe not quite as enthusiastic an endorsement as I can muster for 193 um, <laughs> or 192 rather. But you know, I, I'll still watch it. I mean, it's gonna be good. I, I think I think the top fights are still gonna be good, and there hopefully there's something on the on the undercard that's worth watching. But uh, you know, you got Alan Javon on there. He's pretty decent. So you know, eh, not bad, not bad. I'll give it a high pitch. Not bad on this one. <laughs> it's interesting because you know we talked about. Uh... Three events in eight days in December. Four events in November. There's only those two in October for the UFC. Yeah. There's only two in September. We got we got next weekend's UFC 191 event with Demetrius Johnson against John Dodson, Andre Arlovsky, Frank Mir, uh, Rumble, Manawa, Blackowitz, Corey Anderson, Paige Van Zandt, Alex Chambers. That is your pay-per-view card next week. And then it's a rare, really, really, really rare three-week break from the UFC before UFC Fight Night uh, 75 kicks off in Japan. So it's interesting because obviously they're they're doing the big press conference next week and they're letting things settle after 191 for a little bit. It's, it's odd because we complain about how many events there are and then we have a rare off weekend and it just it starts to feel like, okay, when's the next thing coming up? Yes, but that's a good thing, though. I like that feeling. Yes, that that anticipation is absolutely necessary. It really is, is, and it needs to happen more often than it does. Yes. I mean, if you had a three-week break going into that, uh, uh, what's the three, the 194 in in December? Holy crap. That would be an enormous card. I mean, it's still going to be a huge card, but can you imagine a layoff going into that card, and they they can hype only that card going into going into there? I mean, you would well, get and, and they. To be fair, they actually uh, Las Vegas forced their hand because that weekend would have been, 
or that 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 194 card initially was was going to be the fifth straight Saturday. Oh, and wow. then the Ultimate Fighter finale probably would have taken place on the 12th. But there was yeah. something booked at the MGM on the 5th, because that was the date that they were talking about doing Cowboy Stadium. Mm-hmm. That's and that right, yeah. And that would have been after four straight weekends in November. Yep. So it, we, we we are actually... And, and let's see, when's the... Okay, yeah, I think there there's Halloween weekend is off for the UFC. So there there's still a break between... Uh, the Ireland card and Brazil, but that originally was going to be it was probably going to be six seven straight weekends, and hmm. instead we get we get a two week break between the the South Korea card and the Ultimate Fighter finale and UFC 194, and they're also doing it better this the, uh, with this as well by getting the Ultimate Fighter finale out of the way first. Yes. Instead of having the Ultimate Fighter finale after, as we had in July. Yeah, be the afterthought of all yes. afterthoughts after that freaking card. Yes. So, it, it'll be, it'll still be big. It, I provided nothing happens to I to the top two fights at 194. If 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 everything goes smoothly and we get Aldo McGregor and Weidman Rockhold on the same card on pay per view. It should it, if it does less than Ronda Rousey did for UFC 190. It's a disappointment. I, yeah, I give up if that's the case. If, if it because... does, I think if it does less than a million buys, yeah, that's that's not good. I agree because there is not a more compelling card that you could put on without Ronda Rousey than this. I mean, yeah. only just having Aldo McGregor on there. I mean, 189 proved that that is huge. Yep. I mean that, that that was that was big business, and and Aldo didn't, didn't even show up for that one. So you actually get this fight happening after McGregor gets a big win over the number two guy in the division. Come on, man, that's that's a, that's tremendous. All right, since we touched on pretty much everything else in the stretch, I want to get your thoughts on the Japan card. Obviously, we'll go more in depth as we get into it later next month. But we've got Josh Barnett, Roy Nelson, Gegard Musazi now against Uriah Hall, who stepped in. Uh, Kyoji Horaguchi against Chico Camus, which is a really, really good flyweight fight. Takeya Mitsugaki against George Roop. Um, Kid Yamamoto, uh, returning on this card as well. That, that's, all of that is on your FS1 main card, because they're doing the Sunday in Japan to air live in the UF sa- US Saturday night, uh, deal here. This is a really, really, really solid card. And I think a good way to kick off what is going to be a ridiculous 100-day stretch. Yeah, it, it is a good card. You, Roy Nelson, Josh Barnett is another one of those fights that seems like it should have happened already and somehow hasn't. Um, and that's I think that's a really, really good fight. Uh, Gary Musasi, who was Musasi supposed to fight originally? I can't remember. Uh, Hon Carnero. That's right. I think this is yeah, a better Hon fight. Carnero. Yeah, I, I think this is a better fight, um, really for both guys. I mean, Uriah Hall... Uh, Uriah Hall is is kind of infuriating. Um, it is because I I like I don't dislike Uriah Hall. No, and and yeah. his skill set is such that he's capable of some fantastic things. And yes. so the frustrating part is when he doesn't live up to that, and when he's too timid to do much more because that has been his problem. So he he comes off as too nice a guy in the cage sometimes. Yeah, and that's the thing is like you know, 
you see what he can do when he goes in there against the guy. His name was a group of consonants. The last guy he fought, and uh, and takes him out, <laughs> takes him out in the first round, and just Bem just Bozy. <laughs> yes, That's you're not making at my all case how for it's me. Pronounced, but I'm just going to go with it because it's B A M G B O S E. How is that? I'm sorry. I just don't. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. So, I, I don't uh, get that name. It's hard to pronounce. <laughs> you, you get him going in there and, and just demolishing uh, that fellow. and But then you have other just puzzling performances where he's not getting, like, beat up. He's just not doing anything. you know, Or, or he's got a guy in trouble and he just kind of lays back. That was and, the Natal fight. He never should yes. have lost. That, that decision should not have been against him. Even with how he fought, he didn't lose that fight. But he didn't actually win it either, and that was the problem. They certainly didn't try to win it. It didn't seem like, yep. and, and it's—I mean, you know—I'm—I'm I'm intrigued. I'm always intrigued to watch your eye hall fight because you just never know what's going to happen. Is he going to be—is he going to be good, or is he going to just be infuriating? And it's uh, it's interesting it's, thing to think about into the Musazi matchup. The only person to actually stop Uriah Hall because he has he has five losses. Four of them have been by decision. Three by split decision, one by oh. majority decision. Brutal. This, this is Uriah Hall's legacy. Three split decision losses and a majority decision loss to Costas Philippou before he got into the UFC. His only yeah. stoppage loss ever, Chris Weidman. Wow. Yeah, that is something, isn't it? And that was five years ago. Yeah. At 205? No, uh, no at middleweight. That's right. Yeah, he's one eighty five. I'm thinking yep. Musashi at two five, nope. but he's one eighty five. No, nope, it's one eighty five. Yeah. yeah, no, that that was uh, at Ring of Combat in New Jersey. He, he fought both Chris Weidman and Costas Philippou at Ring of Combat in New Jersey. That's something. And uh, in consecutive fights, the five months apart, six months apart, uh, you know, lost to to Weidman by TKO, lost a majority decision to Philippou, won three fights straight before getting on the Ultimate Fighter, and then obviously. Uh, crapped the bet against Kelvin Gastelum and didn't look much better against John Howard before he finally, you know, picked up a few wins. But John Howard, I mean, come on. See, this—that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. You know, if, if you can lose a decision to John Howard, a guy who he should clearly have beaten. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know. Again, I, but that's—that's that's the thing. Again, that fight and the Natal fight are, yeah, exact. Uh, that's Uriah Hall. That's that's what we're talking about right now. That those yeah. that's exactly what we're talking about when it comes to Uriah Hall. Yeah, and so you wonder what's going to happen when he gets in there against Musasi, who is a guy uh, who is probably the most laid back savage you've ever seen in your life. Um, that's it's you know, it's one of those fights that's either going to be fantastic or the worst fifteen minutes yeah. we're going to sit through <laughs> in twenty fifteen. And there's not much in between. I really no, don't think really there's not. an in between. There's it's really it's not. one or the other, <laughs> and I mean that's that's kind of how I felt about uh, Eric Silva and Neil Magny coming yeah. into this le- to, to last Sunday, and yeah. then we got the wrong end of that. Yes, we did. So hopefully, hopefully we can turn that train around with this one. But man, it's like I, like the thing is, if this fight is boring, I don't I don't know if either of them is going to throw a punch. <laughs> 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 they'll be in there and be like, "Do you care about just, this?" They'll be like, "I don't really care." And then there'll be just a whole bunch there. of fist bumping, just you know, <laughs> feeling out the range, a little fist bump, fist bump, yes, fist bump, fist bump. 
Oh, man. I, I mean, Hall's probably used to it being from the New Jersey area and all, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm definitely intrigued by that fight. And and then you got, uh, you know, Chico Camus and Kyoji Horiguchi, which, as you said, these flyweight fights a lot of times fly under the radar, but, man, that's a that's a tremendous fight. Um, right. Taking yeah, this whole stretch into account, what fight, what single fight... Chris Wyden and Luke Rockhold. Okay. Yeah, okay. can't wait. Why does that one stick out to you among all the others? Um, I think because of the anticipation that I, like, I've, I feel like I've been waiting for that fight for a long time. Like yeah. uh, every, like since Rockhold has started his ascension, he's been kind of the guy to me that is the heir apparent at 185. And then the, uh, you know, you have Chris Weidman who kind of almost jumped in, jumped in front of him in line. Uh, I want to say, you know, kind of jumped onto the scene a little bit sooner than, than Rockhold did in the UFC anyway. And, uh, and got the shot at the title, and, and obviously capitalized on it. Um, and I just really, I, I, I've been I've been looking forward to that matchup for a long time. I think it's a, a really intriguing and good matchup. They're matched up very well. Um, that being said, I, I think Rockhold is going to win it. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to see what happens there. I think they're I think they're just really well matched, and it's going to be a really good fight. I'd have to imagine because it's the same way for me that Alda McGregor is right up there for you. Absolutely, absolutely. That, I mean, Which, that, and and here's that, that's the crazy part. The same They're happening on the same night. <laughs> <laughs> if, if if you are an, uh, uh, I this is going to come off as probably the the most shill thing that I will ever say on this show <laughs> or anywhere. If you are an MMA fan and you do not watch <laughs> that UFC 194 with Elda McGregor. And Rockhold Weidman, you can't call yourself an MMA fan. You really can't. You because can't. if you're not watching that, what are you watching? Yes. I'm sorry. It, and, and that's, I don't care if you're the most ardent UFC hater out there. If you think Tito Ortiz in anything is better than that, those, those top two fights, you are not an MMA fan. Sorry. Yeah. It's, that's just not, Yeah, it's not a thing. And that's that's why that buy rate has got to be it's got to be good because it, if you've ever liked be. MMA, it should you, be. Yeah, if if you've ever liked MMA, that that card is going to be intri- appealing to you. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I I think everything is fine with our recording, and I think we're going to get this uploaded so that people can actually listen, and it's not just you and me yapping at each other <laughs> and doing this for our own enjoyment. So. If you are listening to this uh, at MMATorchLiveCast.com, thank you for joining us. We will try to uh, be live on Thursdays, um, provided we don't have the same issues we ran into tonight. And from there, uh, we'll continue to um, have something up on Thursday nights for our MMA Torch podcast. Next week, there are, there's no fights this weekend, but... Uh, outside of the Bellator show, but we will be back next week to talk the Bellator event, any other news uh, in the next week, and do an in-depth preview of UFC 191, Johnson vs. Dodson 2 from Las Vegas. So, Sean, I will chat with you next week. You have a good night. Thank you to everyone for listening. <laughs>